Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This type of allegation is, is um, repulsive, I guess is the word I, I would use. So um, now it's my job to find out exactly what's taking place. It's another edition of Our Line Starts with Anson Carter and Keith Jones. I'm Catherine Tappan. Brian Boucher will join us in just a little bit. And there is plenty to talk about. Here's what's coming up ahead on the podcast. The latest developments with the Bill Peters accusations. Four games for Robert Bortuzzo for a cross-check. Does the punishment fit the crime? Pierre Maguire with Blues head coach Craig Berube. Looking forward to that conversation. And Robin Leonard hates the shootout. We're going to hear his comments on that topic, uh, an interesting one to discuss. But the story that has grabbed headlines, accusations against Flames head coach Bill Peters, one of his former players in the minors, Akeem Alou, claims that Peters directed racist language at him 10 years ago when they were together in the American Hockey League. Two of Alou's then-teammates corroborated the story. The Flames and the league are currently investigating as we record this podcast on Wednesday afternoon prior to Thanksgiving. Ace... Curious to get your thoughts first off, where you were when you heard the news and what your reaction was when you heard this. Well, it was a typical day for me, KT. Just got up, started surfing the net, started reading the news, just like what I do every single day. And this came across my, my time feed, and I was thinking to myself, hmm, is this legit or what's going on exactly? Is, is Akeem like, trying to grab headlines? Because I know Akeem, and he's had this reputation of being a guy that is hard to deal with and attitude problems. And... I didn't know if that was the case or not, because you put yourself out there like that. And then I started doing more research about it, and Frank Cervelli from TSN went and talked to two of his former teammates. And that, for me, Jonesy, is what sold me. Because they weren't black teammates, they're white teammates. And they said, yes, this in fact did happen. And I was pretty sick to my stomach, because I've talked to Coach Peters several times, and he's been great. Like, he's been awesome to me. So the fact that here, those words came out of his mouth, I was pretty devastated. You played over 600 games in the NHL. Did you deal with this at the NHL level? When's the last time you dealt with Yeah, no, racism? not at all. And that's the, the sad thing, to think that maybe this is happening behind the scenes. You don't really know about it. Because I've never had that issue. I played in a lot of teams, played a lot of guys, played for a lot of coaches. That was never the case. Last time it ever happened was I was at Michigan State, and there's a guy that played for Michigan, and he said the N-word to me on the ice. And I never forget, I said, you know what, I'll see the next level. <laughs> and I was waiting from the term pro, and... Lucky for me, the guy was junk. Or lucky for him, he was junk. He never played. I mean, he's right. a second-round draft pick. Mm-hmm. But that was the last time. So I've never, ever encountered that at a professional level before. So to have a coach do that, I mean, it, it was bad because you're a gatekeeper. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like you're a player saying this to me in the heat of the battle and we're fighting out there and we're saying whatever we want to say to get guys off their game. You're a coach and you dictate whether or not a player plays or if he doesn't play. And that's wrong. If Akeem had come to you and asked your advice on this, what would you have told him? Oh, I would have went right to the commissioner for sure. I wouldn't hesitate. I would have either called Gary or called Bill, the deputy commissioner, and said, Commissioner, this is a problem. This is what happened. We have this as evidence to back it up. And you can't have a coach at the AHL level or ECHL level saying these words to players because they could really dictate whether this player plays the next level or not. And, you know, the hockey world is so small. 
So people mm. go on what they hear without even taking the time to do their research to find out if it's really true or not. So if this gets out again that, oh, this guy's a troublemaker, like he has that same history in the past, and no one really backs it up to see if it's true or not, then he gets written off. And people are like, you know what? We can't believe this kid. He's just going to cause trouble for us. He's not one of us. Get him out of there and just wipe their hands clean. You've had a relationship with Alu over the years from time to time, touch base with him. Um, why do you think he chose now to come out and bring this to the forefront once again? Well, I could tell you why he didn't before. I don't think he wanted to get labeled as that guy. You know, I think as a black hockey player, we tried so hard to blend in and not create new waves. I mean, I held out twice. And I, wanted to, I held up only because I wanted to get paid what I thought was fair. I'd always see guys, and you saw the comps when your contracts were yep. up, Jonesy. Yep. See the comps of 10 players. And those comps, I'd say, well, Pat, I want to get paid in the middle of this. And every time my contract was up, it was always the bottom of that. <laughs> Whereas I see guys that I'm sitting with getting paid the top of their comps. And I'm thinking, what the heck is going on? And Pat being, just to Pat clarify, Brisson, yeah, yes, your Pat agent. Brisson, CAA. Mm-hmm. CAA. So I was thinking, that's not good. That's not right. That's unacceptable. So I understand exactly why it took him that long because he wasn't an established NHL player. I was established. He wasn't established. He was trying to get himself his foot in the door. So I could see exactly why he held it in because he didn't want to rock the boat. But I, I, I can't reiterate enough that the fact that he should have came to me and said, listen, Anson, this is what happened. I know you're a black player. You probably dealt with some stuff of your own. How do I deal with this? And I could give him the proper guidance. I, I, I've heard you talk before about the zero tolerance policy in the NHL when it comes to racism. Um, how do you see this playing out? I think Bill Peters is done. <laughs> I really do. You know, even though it happened 10 years ago, can anyone say his feelings have changed? <laughs> no, you can't. No, you can't. No. You, you can't tell. And it's affected one player. It probably ruined Akeem's career. You know what I mean? Because who knows what influence Coach Peters had on Akeem. And I'm more shocked about this because, like I said, I've dealt with him so many times. I've talked to Coach Peters a lot over the years when he was in Carolina, in Calgary, about his team, what's going on. And he's been great to me. He's been unreal. So that's the sad thing for me is to think that someone could be so professional and perfect talking to you in one way, but behind closed doors they could be thinking something totally different. If he is to be fired, are you a believer in second chances or was his second chance the opportunity that he had to bring Akeem into the lot, into his into his office and discuss and apologize for what took place? That's a good question, Jonesy. I'm a big fan of second chances. Like, people make mistakes. Like, we're human. You know, what he did was despicable and it was gross, but we're also human too. So I would give him another chance at some point to right that wrong. You know, I'm not going to say, okay, you're going up to the pasture. <laughs> you can't coach the league ever again because I've said before, it, it's, a, it's a privilege. It's not a right to coach the National Hockey League. And people do make mistakes. I make mistakes, you make mistakes, you make mistakes. But I think at some point we have to figure out a way to help the person that made that mistake and give them an opportunity to prove that they've changed themselves. How do you think the Calgary Flames are handling this situation? How do you think the National Hockey League is handling it? I know you are very involved in the zero tolerance policy for the National Hockey League. You're an ambassador uh, to speak out for many. Um, You work a lot with Willie O'Ree and his foundation to try and and generate uh, more awareness and to get this stigma out of the game. So where are we right now? I think the best thing the Calgary Flames have done so far is taken their time and talk to the right people. And don't just make some rash judgment. Like, sometimes you see something on Twitter and people rush to judgment saying, oh, that's, that's the way it should be. No, this is a big issue. It's a big problem. And you want to do it right because you're talking with a guy's livelihood too. You're talking about careers here. So the Calgary Flames and National Hockey are doing the right thing. They're taking their time. They don't want to be first to rush to judgment, but make sure you get it right. 
You make sure you get all your ducks in order and you get it right because you don't want to screw this up because this is going to affect a lot of people going forward. When you look around, Ace, there's, there's no African-American general managers in the NHL. There's no African-American head coaches in the NHL. Is that something that's going to change? It should be different, should it not? <laughs> it, it should be, but I think that one of the big reasons why you don't see that is a lot of the guys that played before I came, it was too fresh. The wounds are too wide open still. You know, a lot of guys I've talked to that played in the National Hockey League, say 10 years before I played, they went through so much stuff that they couldn't bear to stay and be connected to the league still and the game of hockey because that represented everything and it reminded them of everything what they went through in the past. So guys walked away from it and washed their hands clean of it. Whereas now, players in my generation are still staying involved in the game because we all love the game of hockey and we see it as an opportunity to help kids that come after us because we know we've dealt with and we, to be able to give guys guidance and help them navigate through those waters as the league is changing too, I think it's a big thing. So I definitely think, Jones, you're going to see a lot more guys getting involved in the game. I mean, Mike Greer right now is coaching yep. in New Devils, Jersey. Right? So yeah. you're going to see a lot more guys, I think, as they retire, want to stay connected with the game of hockey. I want to go back to Twitter and where this all originated. Uh, Akeem Alou put his feelings and, and what he felt about this situation out there for the public to see on a social media platform. Uh, reports have surfaced since that the National Hockey League Players Association wants to encourage players to come to them directly to handle the situation before it goes out publicly on everybody's social media platforms. Where do you stand on this, Ace? Because also, Alou is no longer a part of the Players Association, correct? Because he's no longer a current player. Right. I, so I, that wouldn't even be a platform he could go to. No, I think... I think if he really wanted to, he could go to the PA, the Players Association, if he really wanted to. But Twitter is there for guys to speak their mind. Mm -hmm. So I'm okay with that. Myself, personally, I'd rather deal with things behind closed doors first. And if I'm not seeing any action, then you go public with it. So I'm not a big fan of just rushing to public and making a big stink. If, if I'm going public with something, it's because I tried that other avenue, mm -hmm. try to get things done behind closed doors, and nobody was listening to what I was saying. And then I felt that was my only chance to get my voice heard out there is to use Twitter, use the Facebook, use Instagram to get my message out there. People were just ignoring me. Would you be shocked if other players came forward with the same issue or would it be surprising to you based upon your own experience? I, I wouldn't be shocked. Okay. <laughs> this is the world we live in. Yep. You know, and I, I really feel there's a lot of coaches out there that are afraid that what did I do in the past? What did I do in the past? What did I say in the past that could come back and haunt me now? You know, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, we've got a lot of good coaches, too. I don't want to say that we've got a lot of bad apples because mm -hmm. we've got a lot of great people in the National Hockey League. Jones, you played a long time. Kate, you've been involved in the game a long mm -hmm. time. We've got a lot of good people in the league. But you just never know. Just like I didn't know about Bill Peters, <laughs> you just never know about other coaches. So when you look at this situation and, and the tweets that came out from Alou, he did reference an incident regarding Mike Babcock and his treatment of Mitch Marner at the time when Marner was an entry-level hockey player with the Toronto Maple Leafs. He directly put them together by saying apples don't fall far because Peters did at one time coach underneath uh, Mike Babcock. What do you think about the way he had them linked together and was that necessarily fair to put them together in the same category? There are two very separate instances that have now been linked. Very separate, but I think that was Akeem's way of making what he was saying more relevant. You know what I mean? If he came out of the woodwork and just said Bill Peters said this to me, people are like, well, why is that coming out now? But to link it with Mike Babcock made it more relevant. I think it made people listen more, too, because you're talking about a former coach of the National Hockey League, the biggest hockey market in the NHL. So when you link something to Mike Babcock, then it becomes even bigger. And you've heard guys like Mike Commodore come out and Mark Frazier come out and attacking Mike Babcock. Listen, I don't think Babs is a bad person. He has 
probably done some horrible things as a coach, and that's what coaches do sometimes. But every player, they come out and speak and say, well, this is what really happened to me. I don't think fans should say, well, that guy just has a, an axe to ground with that, the coach. That's not really true. If guys are saying these things on social media and putting themselves out there, they normally have some pretty good intel in the background to follow that up. Whether they aired that with people, that's up to the players. Like, I'm sure those guys knew about Mitch Marner and what happened there, mm-hmm. but they didn't come out and say that. It, had to, it took for another reporter or someone else to come out and put that out there. Now people are like, oh, wow, Mike Babcock, really? He's not a $50, $50 million man after all. There's, there's some warts on this guy. And right or wrong, it's going to be attached to him. And is he going to coach again? Of course, I think Babs will coach again in the league, 100%. Uh, based on the seriousness of the allegations, were you surprised at all how quickly things started to unfold? I mean, the game just ended. Bill Peters was coaching when the tweet was sent out, and he wasn't even talking after the game. That's how quickly things started to to work. That's got to be a credit to the NHL. It, it does. The way they it, back it, to right? the zero tolerance policy. Like the league is not messing around. They're about shutting this down right now. You haven't seen Bill Peters doing interviews. You haven't seen him behind the bench. You haven't seen him practicing. That's all coming from the NHL. I think. I think it's all yep. coming from the Calgary Flames. I think everyone's unified in their belief and their message that this stuff will not be tolerated. Where do we go from here? I mean, this is this is obviously something, and you talked about being around the game for a long time. Um, as far as I can remember, you know, this is the biggest black cloud that we've had recently. Uh, it's certainly something that is concerning and probably the beginning of what will be many stories that we hear that come out. Ace, so how do we transition from this and, and move forward? I think it's about keep having conversations. You know, you, you can't police everything, and you can't paint everyone the same brush. But you have to have those conversations with everyone and let people know that this is unacceptable. You can't have these attitudes take part in our league. Like, the world is changing. You've got more players that are being diverse in the NHL than ever before. And I'm not just talking black and white people of color. I'm talking about, like, Swedes and Russians and Finns and Swiss. Never had this diversity in our game before, Jonesy, ever. And and really, it was one of the greatest things that I enjoyed about playing the game is we took people from all walks of lives. And when we put a jersey on, (laughs) we were all wearing the same color jersey and everybody was part of that team. That's what I thought made my playing experience so great. And I still think there's a lot of that that happens. It's unfortunate what's happened here, but it also brings out a conversation. That's a great conversation to have moving forward for any younger people kids that are you know want to play in the national hockey league it's got to be a safe place for them to play not just when they get there but on their way to getting there and they have to feel comfortable and i think that's where you move forward with situations like this it will be dealt with the league will do their part and we'll move on but it's important that we learn from the past and move forward and kind of help other people enjoy the same things we did as teammates of uh, a collective group of guys trying to win a Stanley Cup together. And we, we can't be afraid to have these conversations either, right? I mean, these no. conversations aren't easy. They're not fun, but they have to be had. If you want to move forward, you have to have these conversations. And to your point, Jonesy, about teammates, well, now that we're retired, we're fans now. Yep. And we go to arenas, and you see random people high-fiving each other. It doesn't care what you look like. As long as you're a Ranger fan mm-hmm. or Capitals fan or Blues fan, like, you're supporting that team. If that team scores, you're pumped. You're excited. Like, you don't think anything about, well, what's this guy's race? What's their religion? What's their sexuality? No one really cares. 
So I think that same attitude should apply to players playing on the ice and people that are involved with the gatekeepers of the game of hockey. Yeah, and you've got, I mean, Brian Burke and, and uh, you know, they've, the Burke family has done a tremendous job with the You Can Play campaign, which certainly encourages everyone to play this great game. And we have seen um, so many people from all different walks of life playing hockey and enjoying hockey and, and supporting the game of hockey. Uh, we also see a lot of young coaches in the NHL right now, right? We see, you know, Jeremy Colleton come into Chicago, even consider you know, Rob Brindamore in Carolina, one of the younger coaches, you know, that's been making a great transition to the head coaching position. Uh, is that going to change and help influence this new culture where these conversations will not be had on the ice anymore because it's a younger generation that has dealt with this their entire life, Ace, of not discussing or saying these kind of words anymore? It, it will, I think, because those same guys you named that are coaching and I played with some of those guys and I played against those guys. And I know if I was having those conversations among the room or I was cool hanging out with guys in the room and now they're coaching now, mm -hmm. they're not going to be okay with those old school attitudes and mentality. They're going to shut that right down. So I think it will change because these guys being a part of that culture of that leadership core now that are leading men behind the bench and say, if this stuff happened on their own team, like I can't see Rod Brindamore being okay with something like that no, happening. No chance. You know, I, I can't see Sheldon <clears throat> Keefe, like these younger <clears throat> generation players. I, I don't see our coaches now being okay with that kind of behavior, that kind of speech. I just don't see it. You talked about Akeem Alou getting a lot of phone conversation calls and, you know, you were trying to get in touch with him. I imagine you've had a lot of phone calls in the last, you know, 48 hours as well. Um, what have, without, you know, certainly not ask you to name names, but what are some of the conversations you're having right now with people trying to, you know, get the message out that you want conveyed? I just try to tell people hockey's changing. And if you're not willing to change the game, <laughs> get out of the game. Mm -hmm. As simple as that. It's more so like my high school friends like are in disbelief. They can't believe because my black friends in Toronto stopped playing hockey at the high school level because hockey, quote unquote, was a white sport. It wasn't a black sport anymore. So we'd talk basketball, we'd talk baseball, we wouldn't talk hockey anymore. But now they have children and their kids are playing because I kept playing. And they knew that I'm a stubborn mule, Jonesy. Yep. Like, when I, I get in my head, <laughs> I don't care what you say to me. If I believe what I believe in, I'm doing it. Yep. And that was part of the why they're, they're having their kids play the game of hockey, even if they're, they're seeing an increase in the number of minority players playing. But they say, listen, Anson played. He didn't really care what anyone said. Yeah. As long as you love the game, play the game. It doesn't matter if you don't have a player of color sitting next to you in the room or not. You all share the same thing, the love of hockey. So why are you let someone else, whether a black person or a white person, tell you you can't play the game? If you love the game, go ahead and play. Awesome message. Yeah. And Ace, I will say you are a, a tremendous voice for those that don't have the confidence necessarily to be their own voice. I know you mentioned um, you're always there. You're always available for the phone call. So I commend you for that as Thank well. Um, certainly encouraging everybody to speak up. But if you can't for some reason, uh, they know that they can reach out to you and, and gain some great advice So based on your experience. So thanks for all that you've shared with us Thank today. You, yeah. Still to come, the shootout. Is it the goalie's worst nightmare? Well, it is for Robin Leonard. Brian Boucher joins us to discuss that topic. But first, Pierre Maguire recently sat down with Blues head coach Craig Berube. Well, it's great to have Stanley Cup winning coach Craig Berube here. When I say that, Stanley Cup winning coach, does it resonate? Oh, it does, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's a good feeling for sure. You know, I was... Uh, you know, going, looking back on the whole, you know, playoffs and everything and just, you know, proud of our team and, you know, be able to accomplish it and get it done. Do you remember where you were and what the phone call was like when Doug Armstrong said, Craig, you're going to be our coach? I do. I mean, it was after a game, um, you know, at home here and uh, we weren't, you know, obviously playing very well and, 
he came in and talked to me, and we talked about it a little bit after the game. Um, and you know, he said, "Think about things, you know, overnight and all that." And uh, it was a tough day, to be honest with you. You know, when you lose a, a coach like Mike, uh, Mike Yo is a good friend and good coach, and you know, things don't go well and they make changes. It's not easy, but uh, you know, it all worked out well. It did work out well. What's the first thing you did when you addressed the team? I uh, just talked about, you know we're underachieving, you know, basically, and how we're going to get better. And this is what the couple of things that we got to do. We're not going to change everything, but we have to start at some point and change a few things and get better. And, uh, you know, that's kind of how I approach the team at that point. Like, I, I, you know, I just addressed a couple issues. One of the things that I thought you did that was so apparent is you moved Alexander Steen from one of the top six forwards to your bottom six forwards. He seemed to thrive in that situation. How did you have that discussion? Because that's not an easy one to have. Yeah, I don't know what, I can't remember exact date. It was at home here, though, and I went up to Steiner and I said, you know, listen, our fourth line has no identity, and it needs one because it's an important uh, part of the team, of our team anyhow. We needed a good fourth line, and uh, I just discussed that with him about, you know, going down there and playing with Barbershev and Sunquist and uh, just giving it an identity, and he was all fine with it. He's a real team guy, and... Um, you know, I think, too, he also bought into it. I play my fourth line a lot. They get a lot of ice time. They're used in big roles and big situations. So he thrived on that for sure. Is part of that because of what you were as a player, that you want to play your fourth line more? Well, I feel it's important. I feel like, you know, in today's game, I feel everybody has to be used. It's such a fast game and a hard game, and I feel like everybody needs to be part of it, and I feel like you play a better team game and use everybody, and that's part of my uh, our process here. What a lot of fans don't know, they remember how tough you were in all the fights, but you were an undrafted player coming into the NHL. You played 17 years, over 1,000 games. Who found you? Well, actually, Barbie Clark did. I was at Medicine Hat and playing for a guy named Doug Sauter, and Russ Farwell was a GM, and they knew Bobby Clark and the Flyers organization. And, you know, they talked to them about me, and Clarkie came down and watched me and a couple of their scouts, and so they called me up and wanted to give me a contract. It was actually during the year that I was still playing, they offered me a contract, and I said, sure. <laughs> I spoke, I know he's a good friend of yours, Craig. I spoke to Rick Tockett last week. He was on... Uh, our podcast last weekend, he was great. He was unbelievable. Can you talk about your friendship with Rick and how yeah. evolved? Yeah, well, when I came in the league in, uh, you know, 86, 87 with the Flyers, like, we ended up living together. You know, when he took me under his wing, basically, he was... Which is hard to believe. Yeah, but he was, a, he was already a two-year yeah, pro right. at the time and a successful player. And so, he was, you know, he was great for me, took care of me. You know, I just learned a lot from being around him and how to play the game. And, uh, you know, just over time, we, you know, we played together on a couple different teams. And, and we really communicate with each other with the coaching part of it. I call him all the time or he calls me about things and situations and what would you do here. And, uh, you know, we, we're in touch, you know, weekly almost. Who's the coach that you played for? You say, I want to be like him. Yeah, I, you know, there, I don't know if there was one coach I really wanted to be like. I always think it's important just to be yourself and you know how your personality comes out but I, I like I, I really like the way you know Ken Hitchcock did things I was around Hitch a lot over my whole career even in junior and just how he did things and uh, the other coach that I really I only had a short time with him was Daryl Sutter in Calgary and I was an older player then uh, basically done but I was still playing but um, 
I learned a lot from him just being around him and how he did things. You were in a big trade. Dougie Gilmar leaves Calgary, goes to Toronto. What was that whole deal like? I was upset. I mean, I was in Toronto. I was loving life. Like, I mean, I was, um, you know, becoming a better player. Uh, I was playing on a line with Kushaniski and Mike Felino. I remember we were a good line, and I was like starting to feel good about playing the game a little bit more than just what my role was before. And then all of a sudden, I get <laughs> I get into this trade and go to Calgary. It was, it was upsetting at the time, but you know, it all works. Things just go. That's the way it is. And I went to Calgary. We had a good team, and I, I was fortunate enough to play with some real good players there. I knew you were really proud of your time with the Philadelphia Flyers as a player and as a coach. But a lot of players, in those days anyways, they'd start in Philadelphia and they'd end in Washington. But that's still a big rivalry. What was it like to go from Philly, you end up in Washington, and come back and play in Philly as a member of the Washington Capitals? It is a big... So when I started in 86, 87 with the Flyers, our biggest rival, and I, in my opinion, was the Washington Capitals. The toughest games were against them, I thought. And, you know, Scott Stevens, Hatcher, Dale Hunter, I can go down the line of guys, Cicerelli, Jeff Cortnell. I can remember all this, you know, tough games. And then when I got traded there, I honestly don't think Dale Hunter and I talked for the first year. <laughs> now we became great friends. Right. But, like, we don't think we liked each other very much just from all the battles over the years with each other. Like, it was tough hockey. and But, you know, that's the way it is. And uh, so it was kind of interesting going there the first time. One of your buddies is Keith Jones. How did that relationship foster itself? Well, in Wash, we played together, and then we played together in Philadelphia, too. So uh, he's a great guy, and, he, you know, again, he was just one of those guys that uh, I got to be good friends with and, you know, obviously still, still am and talk to him, you know, quite a bit. Great do guy. See, do you see yourself as a role model, especially for the Native American? Well, as much as I can be, I think, you know, um, you know I got Native background, and uh, I, I grew up with playing hockey and ball with uh, natives uh, out where I live in uh, Alberta. And, uh, you know, it's important to me. What was it like going back with the Stanley Cup to Alberta? That was a great day. Um, to be honest with you, I was kind of blown away, <clears throat> you know, at how many people showed up to see the Cup in the arena and things like that. And then just seeing my father and my uncles and all the people around there that uh, love hockey, great supporters of, of me over my career and coaching career, and just to be able to... You know, spend that day with with them and you know having a party and all that was pretty special. You made a living being physical. You weren't an easy guy to play against. Is there still room for players like you in the National Hockey League, Craig? Um, you got to be able to play though. Like you got to be a good player, and you still can play a physical brand of hockey. Obviously, there's rules and and things you got to you know obviously be aware of, but. There's still room to be a physical player out there, you know, and if you have to get involved once in a while, but you got to be able to play the game and skate. It's a skating game now. We all know that. If you can't skate, it's hard to play. Jordan Bennington, when did you know? Um, you know, I'm not sure. I think <laughs> he, he <laughs> you know, I think that even at the start of the playoffs, you weren't sure, you know, you like because it's something new. It's a different element going into the playoffs, but... You know, after that first round, I said, man, we got a chance here because he's, he's sharp and he played great. And, and, uh, but, you know, he's done a great job and has continued to do a great job. It's never easy for coaches to have to deal with players that are in contract years. Everybody knows that. You're dealing with one right now, Alex Petrangelo, who's obviously a critically important player for your team. How do you massage that message to the player in the room as a coach? Uh, I constantly talk to him about him and his feelings and what's going on just to make sure I'm checking in with him but he's handled it pretty well and he's kind of not um, 
focused on it, to be honest with you. He's just worried about his play and the team's play and how we're doing, which is great on him. But I just check in with him, you know, on a daily basis, I guess, about things, if things are bothering him and what he's feeling with the contract maybe or just with the team and things like that. So it's just about, just about conversation. What surprised you the most about Ryan O'Reilly? Um, just how smart he is, I guess, and how, how good he is with his stick. It's amazing. His um, his stick play may be the best in the league that I've seen. Um, you know, getting stripping people from pucks and handling pucks and knocking pucks down and just the little things he does. Um, he's an, he's a real excellent player, but his his intelligence is off the charts out there. There's a good chance you won't have another excellent player in your lineup. Vladdy Tarasenko shoulder surgery. You're going to be reevaluated re in five months. That creates some different possibilities for you. Who do you see stepping up and being able to fill that void? Or do you have to do it by committee? By committee. And I've said that over time here. And, you know, we've put different players into that position. Uh, they played there for a few games, and we've put in somebody else. And that's what it's going to be. I don't believe anybody can just go and fill their, uh, Tarasenko's shoes. And it's going to be by committee. We have to, we have to, we need every guy on our team to contribute. That's the way I look at it. I've been around this league almost as long as you have, and I've never seen so many coaches celebrate another coach winning as when you won. They were so happy for you. No, they really were, Craig, around the league, I can tell you that, because uh, I talked to all of them. So here's, I want you to complete the sentence for me, and then I'm going to let you go to work. The St. Louis Blues will win the Stanley Cup again this year if? We continue to put the team first, and I'm going to say it again. That's a big thing. And put the team first and play for the team out there on a nightly basis. And it, we need c contributions from everybody. Perfect. Thank you, Coach. Thanks. <laughs> a great interview there with Pierre. And Chief, always good to hear from him, the Stanley Cup winning uh, head coach of the St. Louis Blues. And since that interview happened, uh, an incident did occur with one of his players, Robert Bortuzzo, and it occurred in the game with the Nashville Predators earlier in the week. Bortuzzo received a four-game suspension for this cross-check on Victor Arvidsson. Uh, definitely suspendable behavior. Certainly he goes to the box for the cross-checking penalty, but Arvidsson is out for an extended period of time, four to six weeks. Uh, that is not good news. What did you make of the decision, Jonesy, the league for four games? It's it's the right decision, and from Bertuzzo's perspective, I know what he was thinking. I probably would have done it myself, but not to the same extreme. He felt like Arvidsson had embellished on the original cross-check. This one right here. He thinks Arvidsson sold it. I, really, I actually don't think he did. He looks at the ref, and now he's mad so he does this and the second cross check is obviously the one that he is suspended for and unfortunately for Nashville Arvidsson is injured he's going to be out four to six weeks so I do think a four game suspension is significant if it was six would I have been shocked and unhappy no but four is enough that he got and if you think back to what Garnet Hathaway got for spitting uh, it was a three game suspension and that's a little bit different that suspension was actually from hockey ops it wasn't from player safety. There was two different uh, departments that examined both of those plays, one being a little different than the other. But the four-game suspension I thought was enough. Uh, I would have been okay if it was a couple games more, but give or take a game, and Bortuzzo deserves to sit out for his actions. I'd go a little bit worth, uh, longer than that, Jonesy. I'd say 10 games for that. Because you look what Bortuzzo did. Initial cross-check, put Arvidsson in that. And I'm sure he was frustrated because Arvidsson's one of those players that's always hanging around the blue paint, right? But then he looks away for a split second, and he comes back again. Like, he thinks about it, and you're right. He did snap, but right there, he could have done some serious yeah. damage. He did. I mean, he did. he's lucky it's his leg and it's not his lower back. 
or his ribs. And you think about Hathaway getting three games for spitting on someone? Yeah. Like, that was gross, too. Yeah. But you three games, four games, I would give him ten games just knowing that he got three games, even though it's different departments, Sending like you message, said. Sending a message, you mean? Send a message. That, that kind of behavior is unacceptable. Well, I, I think that's a fair argument as well. I, I, it's, I think you just have to look at other incidents, and that's what uh, the player safety is doing. They're comparing to other things that have happened previously. The issue, and probably what goes to what you're saying, is he has been suspended before Bortuzzo, and he frequently uses the cross-check as a weapon. He's uh, Really, he could, be, he could patent it as the Bortuzzo move because he does it a lot. Uh, the good news for the rest of the, the NHL is he's got to be on high alert now because four it turns into ten in a hurry. So you can be sure that Craig Berube, who both Anson and I know extremely well, likes him to play aggressively. He wants him to get out there and, you know, throw some cross-checks around and be a physically uh, scary player to play against. Uh, but he doesn't want him to go to the extreme where he's getting yeah. suspended for multiple games, and now he has to watch it because he is an important player for them. Legal, right? You yes. have to do legal action. And, and there's not... some place you can get players, too. Sure. That either right here in their arms, right behind the legs, the lower back area... If Arverson's not wearing those back pads that some players do wear, some guys don't like it because it's a little too bulky, a little bit too cumbersome, it affects their ability to get around the ice, you can do a lot of damage. Even with a little short jab of a cross-check, you can inflict a lot of pain on the guy in his lower back if he doesn't have the proper padding back there, KT. Yeah, four to six weeks for Victor Arvidsson. That is a huge loss for the Nashville Predators. He's a tremendous part of that lineup. So, uh, yeah, very costly cross-check there for Robert Bortuzzo. Last but not least, uh, I, I love Robin Leonard. I love when he comes out and talks, and he did this week, and it was tremendous. So Robin Leonard uh, for the Chicago Blackhawks lost in a shootout to the Dallas Stars back on Saturday night. He does not have good numbers in the shootout. 8-22 and 22 all time. He's Awful. got the best save percentage in the league. He's a tremendous goaltender. Um, just can't play in the shootout. And here's what he had to say about it. All the experts in the media on what my new shootout strategy should be, I'm all ears. The shootout is not hockey, so I got to learn this sport somehow. And hopefully one of the experts can help me as my goalie coaches haven't been able to yet. Sabres fans would love to hear it. A little jab at his former team. And he had more to say, too. Take a listen. 96 to 98 percent over three, four, five, six games. And we didn't win and maybe two, two losses in the shootout. And all of a sudden I was the worst person in the world because of the shootout. It's no other because it's such a fan thing, you know. A good shootout goalie can have terrible numbers and not be very good, but he wins a shootout and it's a hero of the world. It's, it's how it is. It's a, it's a fan game and it's frustrating because, you know, I'm just not good at it. People think, uh, as I said on the tweet, you know, people think, oh, it's mental. Mental, are you kidding me? You think I'm nervous? You think, think I care? You know, I try to save the puck like anything else. It's a PK and a... One one game, last two minutes, make the save stand. It's uh, shootout goals against every weakness I have, and takes away from every strength that I have. That's simple. It's <laughs> great. It's fantastic. We're going to bring in a guy who was pretty good at the shootout, five and eight in his career. Brian Boucher joining us on the phone. <laughs> it's not that great. <laughs> <laughs> he was great in 2010 in game number 82 eight against five, the New York Rangers. There you go, Boucher. Boosh. I helped you out there. <laughs> Uh, Boosh, tell us about this shootout. What do you think of Robin Leonard's comments, and do you agree? Uh, well, the one thing I will say is, like, look, if you're not good at something, uh, you don't really want to do it, right? And I, I think he I, – I disagree with him. I do think it's mental. I think it's, it's, uh, it's a situation that's in his head right now where – 
He knows going into it that he's probably not going to come out on the other side successful. So he's already kind of defeating himself before it even starts. And you can just see it in his body language. Um, in particular, the last game against Dallas was the one that I saw. Um, from a technical standpoint, I mean, it's not like he's, it's not like he ends up in the back, you know, inside the net because he moves back too fast or he's staying out too high and guys are deking him. I mean, these guys are just beating him with shots as they were coming in. And to me, it just looks like a guy that is lacking confidence and probably is talking his way into a corner where he knows he's not going to do well. So uh, I think it's mental. I think he's a great goaltender. I think he's got tremendous size. I think in, in a normal game situation, um, when there's a guy coming in with speed and somebody on him, he's able to, you know, use that size to his advantage. But for whatever reason in the shootout, he uh, there's a mental block there. Bush, how hard was it to get over a shootout loss? Let's say you played a good game like Robin Leonard's talking about. It's a 1-1 game. You've been outstanding, but you lose in the shootout. Was that something you had to adjust to? How'd you deal with it? Uh, to be honest with you, Jonesy, like I looked at it this way. Um, like it, 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 during the game, if I had a 96% save percentage in regulation and in overtime and I lost in the shootout, truthfully, um, I didn't beat myself up too much. Like I, I was happy with the way I played. I can look at it, um, you know, with a clear set of lens and say, look, I, I played a pretty good game in regulation. I thought I made some good saves. My stats indicate that. I mean, if we if we tied 2-2 in regulation and overtime and we weren't able to win, I don't think that's necessarily all on the goaltender. Would you like to win in the shootout? Sure, but I'm not going to sit here and lose sleep over it. There's things that you can work on to get that extra point. But I think now, especially three-on-three, three, there's so many uh, games that don't even get to the shootout anymore. I, I don't know that you need to beat yourself up over it. You can look at the video, work on it in practice, but don't lose sleep over it. Be more concerned about what's going on in the 65 minutes prior to the shootout uh, they get to that point. And look, if the media is beating him up over shootouts, I mean, I think they, they, you know, maybe he's trying to be proactive in that and send a message like, look, I'm hard on myself, so don't be hard on me and lay off me. Uh, but if a guy makes 98% of the saves in 65 minutes of play, I'm not going to beat him up because, you know, he can't, uh, he can't win in a shootout. Hey, Boosh, first of all, your headshot's not screaming five and eight. It says eight and five to me. You look a lot, really confident right there in your headshot. So I have to give that first Thanks, that heads up. He looks but, like he's 12 in his headshot. But I wanted to ask you, like this fear that he has of the shootout, it reminds me of basketball players with uh, you know, the lack of confidence with taking free throws. I know a lot of my basketball friends would take more shots, try to work themselves out of that groove. Do you think he should take more penalty shots, possibly end of practice, try to get himself out of that rut? Oh, I would for sure work at it. Uh, but, I, you know, like, like I said earlier, I mean, there's still 65 minutes of play to worry about and a three-on-three -three overtime where I think the statistics show now that games tend to end more in the three-on-three -three than they did in the four-on-four. -four. Um, you'd be foolish not to work on it, right? I mean, uh, and by working on it, I would, I would look at video. I would watch video of guys that are really good at the shootout, maybe a guy like Lundquist or... Uh, flurry. I mean, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I know just off the top of my head that I feel like Henrik Lundqvist in my time was one of the best shootout goalies there was. Uh, and and watch when they were successful, what they were doing. Watch the speed that they that they uh, go back into the net. See how far they come out. Um, try to mimic their patience uh, that they have. Uh, but in saying that, I mean, if you go in there with the wrong mindset, the minute that guy picks up the puck at center right. I think you're already halfway to defeating yourself before that guy even gets to the crease 
to shoot that puck. You've probably already talked yourself into that you're not going to win the shootout, and therefore the results are going to play out that way. So I, that's why I feel like it's mental. Um, but yeah, he should be working on it, whether it's looking at video or doing, doing extra after practice, but I wouldn't spend three hours on it because there's so much more hockey to play besides, uh, besides the shootout. Brian, we've had some mystery hall of famers call in, in this segment in the past. Are you, are you really Brian Boucher? (laughs) Listen, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I've really thoroughly enjoyed those phone calls you've gotten from Patrick Wine and Dominic Cash, you keep those guys coming. I mean, those, those, they really add to the podcast. I don't think Love it's Brian Boucher. That doesn't, <laughs> yeah, this think, isn't really his. not no. sound like Brian Boucher. <laughs> Boosh, quickly before you go, I mean, you, you have to wonder, like, would you pull Leonard out of the shootout and put somebody else in if he's that much, you know, concerned about it and doesn't have the numbers for it? Yeah, put, put Brent Seabrook in there and see how, <laughs> how, how it works. Um, or maybe see if they can win if they don't put a goal in there. Um, no, I don't listen. I don't think it's fair to, to Corey Crawford to go in there cold like that. Um, you probably could get hurt. Uh, you'll probably get embarrassed. Um, I know that it happened to me once in a preseason game where uh, Michael Layton uh, got hurt during the overtime and said he couldn't do the shootout. And uh, I was I was hiding so far underneath the bench I didn't want to go in there. So and it worked out for me. I had two hit posts and a missed net. I never touched the puck once. I ended up winning the shootout in a preseason game. But I can tell you that it's not going to work out that way for most goaltenders uh, when you come in cold turkey like that. So no, I think he's got to work <laughs> at it. I think he's got to. I think mentally he's got to find a way to get in a better place and not talk himself uh, into into a loss. And once he gets one win and makes a couple of saves, uh, I'm sure the confidence will roll in the other direction. Didn't Bob Hartley do that one spoosh where he changed goaltenders for the shootout and I, I believe he lost he? and then he was fired shortly after that if I'm not mistaken. I think Hedman no, came I, I, I believe that Hedberg I think came in net and replaced and he got the car right after and, that. and lost and then Hartley was gone so I don't oh recommend it for well, the coaches. I think I think Hedberg was good at it maybe that's why he I think did it, it was yeah that's it. Yeah, I would. Uh, I could tell you, I would be livid if uh, he threw me in there. Uh, <laughs> Start <cold>. stretching. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and you get the watch too. Thanks a lot. Yeah, pal. no, no thanks. Well, Bush, you got a big shootout win. We remember 2010 against the New York Rangers, against none other than Henrik Lundqvist to lead the Flyers into the playoffs and ultimately the Stanley Cup final. So we're gonna we're gonna Thank leave it at that. You're, you. hang, you're, hey, Bush, you're welcome. Bush, don't get too comfortable. We're calling you into the show tonight, so I know you're at home <laughs> yeah. right now. Last minute, phone a friend on in. the show tonight. Pre-game. No, I, phone will be on airplane mode. Sorry, guys. Have a good Thanksgiving. Enjoy your vacation, All right, Bush, buddy. Happy Thanksgiving too. <laughs> you bet, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> See you, Bush. All right, that's gonna do it for us. Happy Thanksgiving to you, too. Happy Thanksgiving. Another episode of Our Line Starts. New episodes come your way every Wednesday throughout the season. You can download wherever you get your podcasts. We'll look forward to next week's episode. See you then. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.